Well, well, well. Well, uh, hey, y'all. Welcome. Welcome to uh, Midtown 12 South. Welcome to um, our Young Professionals Fellowship Night. Uh, we do these, if you're new with us, we do these once a month. It's always on the first Tuesday uh, of the month where we gather to, um, one, do what we just did and just kind of hang out together, but also uh, dive into the word of the Lord a little bit uh, and then discuss it with one another. And so that's what we'll be doing tonight. Typically what I do is I'll teach for a little bit and then I'll tell you to like group up and talk and then I'll come back and teach some more. Uh, I'm actually going to deviate from that a little bit. I'm going to teach on the front end and then I'm just going to ask you all to break off into small groups. Um, and we got some folks who are going to facilitate those, but we may need a couple more volunteers for that. Um, and then just, we're going to go find some rooms in the church and kind of talk through some questions that I've printed out. Um, one is a chance to talk through and process what we're talking about together, but also hopefully to meet some folks that you may not have, uh, they may not know. Those will be, uh, same sex groups, not co-ed groups. Um, so we'll break you off into those, uh, but we'll get to that here in a second. Um, uh, so thanks again for coming out tonight. Uh, we know that there's... 50 billion other things that are vying for all of your attention. So um, that you would come to uh, spend time with us really does mean a ton to us. So uh, let me pray for us and we will uh, jump into the book of Romans together. So let me pray. Uh, Jesus, we are uh, just so thankful for you and your mercy. Uh, thank you for um, the honor and the privilege of, uh, of another day, of another breath. Uh, we thank you that uh, because of your faithfulness this morning, you caused the sun to rise, uh, and your faithfulness to it, you caused it to set tonight. Uh, Lord, and you'll do the same thing uh, tomorrow, should you choose. Uh, so, Lord, we are um, in awe of you and all of your uh, your goodness and your mercy to us. Uh, so, Jesus, tonight as we um, talk about uh, maybe the weirdest thing in the universe, uh, we ask that uh, you would have grace on us and mercy on us uh, as we open up your word together. Uh, we love you for it. It's in your name we do pray. Amen. Uh, so we have for uh, really since, I guess, September, uh, been walking through uh, a little series we put together called The Church You've Always Wanted. Uh, we're looking at what are some of the marks of a church that would be healthy and what are some of the marks of a church that would be like attractive, um, especially as we, um, certainly the, probably the largest demographic in our congregation at 12 South, um, we have the opportunity to build um, something cool into the culture. And so we want to talk a little bit about that. Um, and we've, we've hit on a lot of different topics, uh, but tonight, um, and really for the next couple uh, times together, we're going we're gonna to dive into what makes uh, really Christianity uh, and the church and the world, uh, what makes it unique, what, what makes it distinct. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll toss around some theological terms and things like that, but we really want to, we really want to hit hard on um, what are we doing when we gather together, uh, when we what, what brings us together? What is the Lord building uh, in our midst? And uh, when we think of the church uh, we want to be, certainly as your staff and your pastors, uh, we always want to be a place that, uh, that loves Scripture uh, and, and doesn't deviate from that and cares a lot about Scripture. Uh, we want to be a place that cares about your emotional health. Um, we don't want to ignore that. We know that your spiritual health and your emotional health tend to be tied together. We're a church that cares about your physical health. Uh, we're a church that cares about your relational health. Um, and we're a church that cares um, about kind of what you learn. Uh, we, we know that we only have you here. Um, if we're lucky, you know, we get you for three or four years before you take another job and move away or whatever. It's fine. Um, 
but so we, we, we talk a lot about what we want you to learn while you're here and what do we, what do we, want, to, what do we want to talk about, what do we want to be. And so um, when we think of kind of the environment we want to build, um, being a place of grace is kind of top of the list. Um, for obvious reasons, that is what the Lord has chosen to do. Uh, he has in his grace, that's, that's how he relates to us. Uh, and so we know that that could be kind of a big a word that catches a lot of things. Um, and so we really want to kind of drill down into uh, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean that God is gracious? What does it mean to have grace with one another? What does it mean to be a place uh, that is known by its grace? Uh, and so uh, we're going to turn to the book of Romans. If you have like a Bible app on your phone or whatever, um, I'll also just be reading it out loud. But uh, we're going to be in Romans 3, uh, 21 to 31. Uh, and that's Romans 3, if you've spent time around church, uh, a chapter that you've probably heard, read a lot. Um, but we're going to look at what makes, um, what makes grace what it is. Um, and why does uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, inspired by the Holy Spirit, why is, why is he and why is grace the thing that kind of drives him? Uh, and so that's where we'll be, Romans uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 21. And I'll read down to either 30 or 31, wherever I feel like stopping. Um, so I'll read this together, uh, and then I'll pray, and then we'll talk a little bit more. Uh, so this is the word of the Lord from Romans 3, chapter, or Romans chapter 3, rather, verse 21. This is the word of the Lord. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That what becomes of our boasting is it is excluded by what kind of law, by law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is the God of the God of Jews only? Or is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Question mark. By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So let me pray together. Uh, Jesus, once again, we come to you. I uh, ask that you would just tend to the uh, preaching of your word, um, tend to us as we discuss it uh, and what you have for us. Uh, would you show that to us uh, through your Holy Spirit? Uh, and would you move among us uh, and let us see just how, just how much you love us? That's uh, your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so Paul, he opens up the book of Romans. Uh, the Roman church was a church that he loved dearly. Uh, Paul loved all his, the churches they wrote to. He loved them all dearly. Uh, in, in the book of Romans, especially chapter three, this is where he kind of launches into, as he's talking to the Jews that are in Rome, um, who are sort of against the Gentiles. That was a normal thing for Jews, Jews and Gentile conflict was always a thing from the beginning of scripture. And so he's writing to the Jews to tell them that God is the God of the Gentiles also. And that uh, the law that the Jews kind of hold on to, the Ten Commandments plus, you know, some other rules there in the first five books of the Bible, um, they, had, they, had, they had always sought um, to make themselves right, to make themselves enough uh, by following the law 
And Paul is coming in and saying, the law is actually what is like condemning you because you can't keep it. Um, you've tried, you keep failing. And Paul is really starting to kind of hone in on um, two big things. Uh, the first is uh, he's honing in on the guilt that mankind has. Um, he talks about that in verse 23, where he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so he's talking about, he's talking to them in context of the law that they think they're keeping. And he's saying to them, you've actually missed the whole thing. Um, by trying to keep the law, you're missing Jesus altogether. You've missed the Messiah altogether. And uh, by trying to be enough, or trying to be perfect um, by the standards that are set forth in the law, um, I'm here to tell you uh, that those things are, are going to fail you. And so he tells them the reason this is is because all, we've all sinned. Um, we have from the time in the garden when we were created in perfection, um, Adam and Eve sinned, if you know that story. Um, and because Adam and Eve sort of represent all of us, um, we are all born of Adam and therefore we all sin. And so uh, Paul is writing them to say, you now have this kind of guilt that has to be dealt with. Um, and it's not just, you know, it is guilt from the law for sure. Um, but it's also, you know, you could throw shame in there. Um, we just know. We just know that inside of us kind of there's something that's off and there's something that's awful. Um, and there's something that just kind of haunts us. And um, I hate parking garages. I don't know if you like parking garages. Um, I hate parking garages for a lot of reasons. One, I'm super paranoid. Um, and so I don't like walking through them because I always think somebody's going to like jump out and get me. And I'm like, I'm not kidnappable, okay? <laughs> but for some reason, I still think that's going to happen. I'm like I'm a grown man. You don't kidnap grown men. Um, but for some reason, I hate them. I won't go into them um, unless I'm like on a date downtown or whatever. But um, I try to avoid that. And so... Uh, I, avoid, I, like, I don't like them because I always, as I'm walking through them, I have this like kind of nagging feeling that someone's following me. Um, it's also like why I didn't like basements when I was a kid because there's always something down there. Um, when Paul is talking about what sin and guilt have done to us, he's talking about this kind of nagging sense that we have um, that something's kind of following our soul around and it's just kind of spooking us all the time. Um, Scripture would say that that is the role of, of the evil one, of the role of Satan, is, the, is that he's the accuser. So he's always sort of um, calling out sort of what you've done, um, kind of barking it in your ear, your flesh, the world. There, all these things are kind of against you when you're, when you're seeking to live a life that follows Jesus. Um, it's why sin always traps us. It's why sin trips us up. And so um, we have to ask the question of when that happens, when we have this, this kind of nagging sense that, that our sin is following us around or that we're not enough um, or the shame that kind of just sits on us or the anxiety that sits on us and the fear that sits on us, um, something has to be done about that. And so that's what Paul's pointing out here. He's like, you, you claim so much that the law is what makes you right and the law is what makes you just but why do you still feel this? Like, if that was true, um, then you got to do something with the guilt. 
there's still, there's still the nagging sense that's there. There's the suspicion. Um, there's, the, there's the knowledge that, you've not, that, that something's not right. And still, what he's saying to the Jews is that you keep running to the law, but the law just keeps condemning you because you're, you're falling short of it. And he's telling them, it's sort of a fool's errand to do what you're doing, um, especially because we've all sinned and, and we fall short of that. There's no one that's going to be able to keep that. And so something's got to be done about our guilt. Um, and then there's another thing that we don't talk about a ton because it's not fun, but there's got to be something that's done about God's wrath. And so these two things have to be dealt with. And Paul, is, he's addressing that here. And what he is saying is going to deal with these two things is this big kind of theological word called justification. So he says in verse 24 um, of chapter 3, that, our, that we've all, uh, 23 rather, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And then verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so when Paul is addressing this and when we're, you know, when we are approaching life itself and our Christian walk, we look at this guilt that we have. We think that, man, God's mad at us. So something has to come in and deal with both of these things. And Paul says that thing that comes in and deals with that is your justification. And what justification is, is um, it's a legal term. I won't bore you with all that. Um, but what justification is, is that when God comes and looks at you, he declares you as justified. He declares you as righteous, which means that something has to be done about you before something could ever be done to you. So before you could ever enter into the salvation that is ours, God has to look at you and say, you're justified. He's got to look at you and say, another word that we use for that is enough. He's got to look at you and say, you're good. And um, it's not based on merit, it's based only on what he says. And so this has to be done first before we can ever experience salvation. Before we can ever know what it's like to have a relationship with God through salvation, we have to be declared as just. And so that kind of puts, um, it puts God in a pickle a little bit because um, God, who's the one who sets the rules, God, the one who wrote the law, God's the one who orchestrates everything about us, um, that there's no maverick molecule in the universe. And so God oversees all of that. So God is now a little bit in this pickle where you are guilty and he's mad. And so in order for this to happen, something has to be done about this and about this. And here's the thing, because Paul says in verse 23 that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that means that there's nothing that we can do to take either of these things away. Um, we've tried for centuries and centuries. The Bible calls that idolatry. We've tried to worship our way out of this mess and uh, we only get ourselves further into it. Unless God himself does something about it. And so in scripture, that is where, that's where Jesus comes in, right? 
Because Jesus, who was God and man, we're going to talk about this on Sunday. Um, the reason this is such a big deal is because, um, Paul said it here, there's someone that God has to be both just and the justifier in order for this to happen. And so when Christ comes in, what we find is because he's fully God, because he's perfect and holds all of that, he holds all of that about being God perfectly. He's also fully man, right? He's born of the Virgin Mary. He walked among us. Um, because he holds both of those things perfectly and in tension, um, we get the other kind of big word that's in there in verse 25 is this word propitiation. Another huge word. Um, we don't say, you probably don't use this in your normal daily life. Um, but what this means is that Jesus had to come in and do something about our guilt and about God's wrath. Because God's wrath toward mankind was, was toward the breaking of the law. And someone had to come in and fulfill that law in order for us to be justified before God. Adam tried to do this and Adam failed. And so Jesus who comes in, as he's called the second Adam in scripture, he comes in and fulfills God's wrath by what we call the active obedience of Jesus. Oftentimes when we think about Jesus, we know uh, of his passive obedience, that's his death on the cross, obviously a big deal. And so we know about that. We know that he was, scripture said, like a lamb led to the slaughter. We know that he went willingly. We know that he volunteered for it. Um, we know that uh, he stood on the cross and he was silent. He took the wrath of God on himself. Um, he took our sin onto himself. He gave us his righteousness. And so there was this great exchange that took place on the cross. That's, God's, that's, that's Christ's passive obedience right? that was done to him. Um, his active obedience is just as big a deal. And we can kind of forget that because what his active obedience did was that it fulfilled the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, plus what else is in the Torah, that it fulfilled the law of Moses, as Jesus said, every jot and tittle, meaning every like, he dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's. And so he fulfilled the law perfectly for us. Everything he did was on behalf of us. The way that he lived this is why we say he lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. And so when he does that, he gets rid of God's wrath for you because God looks at you and says, you are now justified as if you had fulfilled the law yourself. The Heidelberg Catechism says, just as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner. And so when, when God now looks at you, if you're hidden in Christ, he sees you through this and not through your guilt or through his wrath. That there's not an ounce of wrath left for you if you're hiding in Christ. And so this propitiation word really means like a divergence. I'll just put divert. That Jesus came in and diverted the wrath of God from us onto himself. And... Um, this could only happen because when we think of God's wrath, it's, it's not necessarily fun to think of God as being angry. Um, but we're all angry, right? Anger, anger's not bad. Bad anger is bad. Um, but when we think about anger, you're only angry at the, 
because you love something. Um, when you have an anger toward injustice, it's because you love the thing that has been sinned upon, right? And so um, you'll find this out when you have kids that you can hate them and love them at the same time. And, um, and you can have anger toward them because of, what, because of how much you care about them. Right? This is why when God is described as a jealous God, it's different from like a jealous boyfriend. Because when God is described as a jealous God, it's saying, I love you too much to be okay with what you're doing to yourself. And typically when we think of jealousy, it's like, how could you do that to me? And so it's not inward, it's facing outward. So God's anger is, is so tied with his love. And that's a good thing. Like we want God to be angry. We want God to be angry at sin. We want God to be angry at injustice because we're angry at sin. We're angry at injustice. And that doesn't just come from within us. And so it's good to have a God who's mad at stuff. It's not good to have a God who's mad at us. And so Jesus comes in uh, as the propitiation for that, as the one who diverts the wrath of God that was to fall on us. He takes it himself on the cross. That's the passive obedience of Jesus that we just talked about. And so um, Paul talks about the Passover, how God has passed over sins. If you know the Passover story, it's in Exodus 20. Um, it's, the, it's the tenth and the greatest plague that came upon Egypt uh, right before the Red Sea split and they like walked through it with Moses. We know that story from maybe growing up. Um, because what happened there is God visits the Israelites, tells them to put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. The angel of death is gonna pass over them. That's where we get the name. The angel of death is gonna pass over that and the wrath is gonna fall on those who don't have the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. And so... When, when Paul talks about Passover, this is communion, we just took this on Sunday, um, the New Testament tie there is that the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus, that covers us, the doorposts of our heart, judgment passes over us and we're safe because of the blood of the lamb. So that, that Passover tie is tied directly to our salvation. Like that's, why, that's, that's why Passover keeps popping up in the Bible. Um, that's why we celebrate communion once a month as a remembrance of what was done there. And so um, the question now is, then how do we interact with God on God's terms? Um, and Paul tells us here at the end of this, when he talks about the law a lot, um, he says in the last verse, do we then overthrow the, this, the law by this faith? He says, by no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. Which now kind of puts the Christian in a pickle because... When we try to keep the law apart from Christ, right? We fail. So Christ has fulfilled the law for us, but we're still now, we're still told to uphold it. So here's how I want you to think about the law going forward. Um, the law, the law, the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses found in the first five books of the Bible um, is there for three reasons. One is to show you your sin. So when you read the law, it's to point out to you your sin. John Calvin of Calvinist fame, of Presbyterian fame, um, says there's three uses of the law. The first is it shows us our sin, so it serves as a mirror. So when we look at it, we see ourselves and we see ourselves as falling short of it. Um, the second use of it is that it constrains evil. So this is like uh, what Calvin calls the officer use of the law. Um, think of when you have a police officer behind you 
and you're on your phone texting. Kyle, and you're supposed to put your phone down, but you get pulled over and you get a ticket, Kyle. Um, and so when there's a cop behind you, you always slow down. When there's a cop behind you, you like freak out thinking you did something wrong, even though you didn't do anything wrong, right? And so there's this feeling that the law does that also constrains evil, um, that the law is set in every human heart, right? So the, the law, even those who aren't Christians, even those who would have nothing to do with Christianity, there's just something intrinsic about them that, uh, that the law shows us. That's why it's not just absolute chaos all the time, right? The spirit of God kind of controls all of that through using the law. So you have the mirror, you have the officer, you know, kind of slows you down. And lastly, it's a guide. And that's like the third use of the law is kind of where we, um, we buck against as Christians, certainly myself, I put myself in there first, um, because we don't like being told what to do. We just like being told that we're okay. Um, and so when you think of the third use of the law as a guide, what it's doing is when you look at it, the law is going to point you to Jesus, right? You failed. You can't keep this. Um, your heart has, has testified against you. You're now condemned. You look to Jesus as the one who's fulfilled that for you. So Christ has fulfilled the law. He's covered it. It's as if you have kept the law perfectly. Um, he did that on your behalf. It's all applied to you. You never lose that. And then Christ points back at the law and he says, now follow me. Now use this as what we call obedience. Uh, you follow these, obey my commands. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. That's what he's talking about. And so the law, that's why we don't get rid of it because Jesus didn't get rid of it. Jesus himself says he doesn't, he doesn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And so there's something about the Ten Commandments, the other laws of Moses in the first five books that are good for us. And so when, so when we look at the law, it points us to Jesus. We go find our rest in him. Jesus points us back to the law and says, this is how you follow me. So that's how Christians are to interact with that. And so um, when we talk about being in a place of grace, what we want to get at and what we want everybody that walks through our doors to know. And I think Middown does a good job of this, but I also work here. So I'm, I'm blind to a lot of stuff. Um, is that when somebody walks in, when you walk in, uh, what we want everyone to know is that this is a place where your flaws are welcome. Um, and that's not just lip service. Um, that's why from the pulpit, we say some of the stuff we say, and we want to be honest and vulnerable with you. Uh, that's why in your small groups, we, we ask you to be as vulnerable and as open as you, as you feel safe to do so. Uh, because we want you to know that when you come here, that that's welcome here because that's what God welcomes. God welcomes sinners because sinners are all there are. Um, and so church really is like, it's really the only level playing field in the universe. Um, because when everybody walks in um, and by sitting down and engaging in worship, what we're all saying kind of intrinsically without saying it out loud, implicitly, I guess would be better, what we're saying implicitly and not saying, without saying explicitly is that I need the same grace as the person sitting next to me needs. There's no one who's better than anybody else. Um, there's no worse sinner than you are. Like you're always the worst sinner in the room. So we're all the worst sinners all at the same time. Christianity is the only way that works. And so we want to be a church that welcomes that because we want to be a church who knows 
that we're sinful, not because we want to like beat ourselves up. We want ourselves to know that we're sinful because that means that there's a God who loves sinners. That if Jesus is a friend of sinners, um, as he claims to be, and I believe that he is, then that's a good thing. That to be, to be loved by God for who we are and for who he's making us to be, church is really the only level playing field where that's true. Um, I said this on Sunday, like everywhere else in the world, and what we'll talk about a lot in our Matthew series, if you're with us on Sunday mornings, um, what the world values and what the kingdom of God values are so opposite of each other. Um, and, and you know, I think you know this um, because you, especially y'all are living in the tension of this so much because you just got out of college, right? You've been in the workforce for you know, four or five years and you just see how gross it is. Um, it's, it's cutthroat. It's people trying to get ahead. It's people not caring about you. It's bosses not caring about you. Um, and the kingdom, what it values is saying, your performance actually works against you. And when you come to Christ, when you come to his church, when you come to his kingdom, the performance that you're concerned about is his performance and not yours. And so we'll say a lot that salvation does come by works. It just doesn't come by your works. It comes by the work of Jesus on your behalf. And so when we, are pl- when we want to be a place of grace um, and where we need you is to, uh, to really help cultivate that. Because um, we can say it from up front all day, um, but the impact and the, and the reach that you guys have versus what like Elliot and I and our elders have is so much greater. And so, uh, which is why we have nights like this, because we're like, hey, we need you. We need you to make this place a place people want to be. Um, and it's crowded on Sundays. Maybe you don't want more people coming. Um, but we'll fix that somehow. <laughs> and so we just want this to be a place that is just soaked in the grace of Jesus. And, uh, and, and like truly is. Um, not just something that we say from up front, but that uh, really is like the culture of what we want to build. And so when we say that that's the church you've always wanted, is because our hearts long for a place like that. Our hearts long to, to be in a community like that. Um, and so I want to give you a chance to practice that for the next 30 or 35 minutes together. Um, I was going to break this up in groups. You can pick your groups. I'm not going to sign that. Um, But we do have some of our YP leader team here who will facilitate some of the groups. And then I'm going to need probably some more volunteers to help me with that. Um, And so I just want you to break up same-sex groups. Um, I got some questions. I printed off 40. I grossly underestimated who's coming. Um, And so you'll you'll have to share. Um, I'm not printing more. And... uh, and so we just have three questions. They're not super deep, but you can be as deep as you need to be. Um, one deals with kind of the nagging feeling that you might be feeling. What is that and how do you deal with that? Um, second is how would, you, how would you explain this to somebody else? How would you explain what we just talked about, that Christ is the justifier? How would you explain? Basically, how would you share the gospel with somebody? Uh, and then lastly, how can Midtown become a place like that? And then how could you help us do that? Uh, so those are the three questions I'm going to ask you to do. 